Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. We are going to get to 80 today. Can you believe that? After a, kind of a weird March, it's going to be a toasty one today. A little cold front comes in tonight, and we go down into the mid-60s for tomorrow's high. But, man, today is going to be gorgeous. If you can do something outside today, get off of work early, go for a hike or something, I highly recommend it. Hey, welcome to the program. Nine minutes after 9 a.m. I'm Andy. Thanks for tuning in. Man, we got a lineup of guests this week coming up in just a few minutes. Dr. Timothy Jennings, actually in just a minute or so, Dr. Timothy Jennings is going to join us and uh, we'll talk about a a lot of interesting stuff today. Uh, Tomorrow on the program, Todd and Susie Bullock from Hay Grill Hay will be on the program. They have found a way to make a lot of money on YouTube by teaching people how to barbecue. Interesting concept. Uh, we're going to get, uh, well, their uh, formula for success. Wednesday on the program, Tim Alders will join me. Tim Alders is a powerhouse in the Republican Party here in the state of Utah. He's a state delegate, but he's got a book out. We're going to talk with Tim about that. And then on Mayor Thursday, Mayor, uh, Mayor Michelle Randall from the city of St. George will be joining us. And Friday is Good Friday. We'll actually will be off on Good Friday uh, to uh, honor uh, part of the Easter holiday. So a lot of uh, good stuff scheduled this week. Hopefully you'll join me every day at 9 o'clock here on KDXU. All right, let's bring him in. Dr. Timothy Jennings is his name. Uh, he is a medical doctor. Well, he's an MD. He is a psychiatrist and also a master psychopharmacologist, which will let him explain exactly what that means uh, he's also a member uh, of the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology and a specialist trained in transcranial magnetic stimulation, a drug-free treatment for depression. Dr. Jennings, uh, boy, thank you so much for coming on the program today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Andy. Tell me, for, let's start right away about your, your website. You have a website out there, right, that, that you kind of run and, and, and put together. And, and uh, tell us what that is and, and how to access it. Yep, come and reason.com and it's a website that from a uh, not-for-profit ministry we started in 2010 that provides resources to to help people hone their discerning and critical reasoning skills integrating various pieces of evidence for instance scientific evidence with scripture evidence with life experiences and how reality works to find a a consistent uh, uh, evidence-based reality outcomes that you can become a good thinker and be able to discern the various uh, narratives that are going on out there to find the one that is actually the healthiest. Tim, my dad was a scientist, physicist, geographer, geologist, uh, but also a very spiritual man. So I've all, I've grown up with the concept that uh, spiritual reasoning and belief can coexist well with scientific the scientific community. That's not necessarily the wide-held belief, though, that those two go together, right? No, you're exactly right. Uh, there is this mythos out there that uh, if you have faith, then you don't actually use or need evidence. But my view is just the opposite, that our faith increases as we have greater understanding of how God created reality to work. The more evidences that we're able to bring to bear on a situation or a circumstance, then we our faith and confidence increases. And think about the faith maybe you have in your spouse. Well, why do you have faith or trust or confidence in your spouse? It's because of the they've given you over time of their trustworthiness. And that's how I understand real faith works. I like that. Uh, yeah, faith in your spouse because, well, they time and again, hopefully your spouse out there uh, has come through when you've needed them. 
I have the utmost faith in my spouse, my spouse exactly what you're talking about there. Uh, there was a study out actually this morning uh, in the news. 31% of Americans now claim to be atheists. That's bigger than any one particular religious group in our entire country. And, it, it, you know, it explains in some ways uh, some of the troubles, I think, going on in our country right now. Dr. Jennings, can you talk about that a little bit? Why why people why people are, are is it laziness why are we why are we getting more atheists than we've ever had before in america well, it's a combination of factors. One is the school systems for, for generations now have been um, putting out the uh, propaganda, the, the false narrative of a godless origins of life, that it just all happened on a big bang all on its own. And the science now is actually not just suggested, but irrefutably proven a godless origins of life to be false. But we continue to press the narrative. And I'll, I'll say it real quick for anybody listening. If you want to put a knife in the heart of all the godless originators out there, uh, in, in life in every form that we know it requires three elements, physical matter, mm-hmm. energy, and coded information found in the DNA of the living organism. Uh, all the godless uh, theories out there will have these speculative theories about how the Big Bang created the matter and the energy and so forth. Um, but that's only two elements for life. You still need the information coded into actionable, usable information that produces the very products of the, of the organism. And having letters of the alphabet, which would be the physical matter, DNA molecules, letters of the alphabet, are not the same thing as having an encyclopedia. Organizing those letters in a way that communicates actionable and useful information requires an intelligence. And every thinking person who looks at this knows it's true and knows it's absolutely impossible for um, information to code itself. And thus... Uh, science has now proven there has to be an intelligence behind all living, all life as we know it. But we continue to press the false narrative. So one reason we're having more atheism uh, uh, going on is because of a constant pressing of a false narrative and teaching kids this. The other reason is because much of what's happened in and the church has been presenting uh, concepts that are so often contradictory, that make no sense, that people rightly throw off, but then they throw out the baby with the bathwater. For instance, in the Dark Ages, um, it is a mortal sin to commit murder, but you can have eternal life and all your sins erased if you go kill people in the Crusades. Yeah. Um, it, it, these types of contradictions that have come down within religion and within Christianity that have been nonsensical have caused thinking people to go, that doesn't make sense, and then they just move away from, from the tr- uh, searching for the truth themselves. Yeah, a little contradiction inside their heads. You know, I had, uh, years ago, I was a, a, an editor of a newspaper here in town, and my, my, lead, my photo editor was uh, a proclaimed atheist. And we had many, many late night discussions and, uh, and uh, you know, tr- trying to budge each other's opinion. And uh, obviously it didn't work either way. But uh, one of the one of my reasons, and maybe you can address this a little bit, Dr. Jennings, is I felt like there was a quantum leap between, I mean, you know, they talk about evolution and they talk about, you know, we came from apes and things like that. But in my mind, there's this quantum leap where you go from ape to the technology that a human, a human being has been able to create, the, the intricacies of what we've been able to do. And that in one area anyway, as I was having these uh, discussions with my atheist friend, uh, he had to acknowledge, well, there seemed to be, yeah, you're right, there seems to be a pretty big leap from ape to man, and he doesn't know where it came from. 
yeah, exactly. There and there are no uh, these 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 uh, suppo- supposedly species of the gaps. They don't exist in, in in history either. We've never seen one species change another species. So if you're actually an evidence-based thinker that believes science is something that's reproducible, um, that is testable, reproducible, get the same outcomes, the entire godless theory um, is, has proven itself to be false. Um, the idea that you get a mutation that adds adaptation to the species um, that 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 therefore it advances over time is also false. Every mutation that happens in, a, in a, any species thus far damages the de- genetic viability and and the um, and the um, vitality of that of that species. It doesn't advance the species. There's not one mutation that's been identified that actually makes the species stronger. Um, what what they call um, evolution is actually what you might you and I might call adaptation, and it's really epigenetic uh, alterations that are happening within one to two generations. For instance, the uh, finches that uh, Darwin identified that had different beaks for grubs or for bark or for whatever, they, they, and he um, hypothesized that these mutations over millions of years allowed the beaks to grow in different ways, has actually been proven now that these are epigenetic changes. They have the same DNA sequences. There's no mutation in the DNA, but within one to two generations, based on new environmental pressures, the beaks alter due to epigenetic changes, which is exactly what Scripture teaches when it says sins pass down three and four generations, meaning our behaviors change our gene expression and it passed down within just a couple generations. These things change. Well said. I like it. Now, kind of heavy this morning, so we're going to lighten it up a little bit. Let's talk about some, uh, first of all, some current events and and some applications of things. Uh, Dr. Deborah Burks today said that hundreds of thousands of deaths could have been avoided had we locked down quicker, harder, and longer. Uh, She she talks about the deaths, of course, from COVID-19, but she doesn't talk about some of the effects that that would have had on human beings. And I know you're on the front lines of this. We're talking about depression and suicide and substance abuse and and things like that. The side effects of lockdowns uh, are are great. And I don't think, you know, we got people like Dr. Burke saying, well, we could have saved saved a bunch more people. Yeah, but at what cost? Well, and and I I think that whole question still remains to be answered. Um, Part of the whole problem with the whole approach to the, what what world many of the societies in the world have done has been single data point decision making, and the single data point decision making is there's a COVID virus out there, it's, uh, and and we want to stop its transmission. We don't want to consider any other cascading consequences. We don't we don't want to consider value of life. We don't want to consider quality of life. We don't want to consider other factors such as poverty, such as uh, depression, such as social isolation, such as all these other things. We don't consider. We consider one data point and we cause all types of injury and harm. And and we don't know the ultimate long-term impact of just COVID deaths yet. What may be happening is merely that we are spreading out the deaths over a longer period of time, but the same total number of people die from COVID anyway. My uh, uh, thoughts have always been, if you do all the social isolation and all this distancing, we're not going to stop the virus from making its way around the world through the human population. It's going to make its way around the world through the human population. We're just slowing the progression through the human population. So do we actually change the total number of deaths in the long run anyway? Not sure. That, That that remains to be seen, but but some of the suffering we're causing through our actions. Yeah. I know people who have uh, loved ones in hospice care, and they're dying of terminal conditions, but they need some type of uh, care outside the home, and the families have been prevented from actually being with their loved ones while their loved ones are dying, and these people are basically dying in isolation and suffering without any comfort from their family. Why? We have to prevent COVID spread. Yeah. Well, why do people have something called do not resuscitate orders? Because we understand in society that 
it's not just quantity of life, but it's quality of life that matters as well. And when it comes to COVID, we don't give individuals and families the ability and the liberty to make a decision about what's best for their family and their circumstances. We prescribe and we mandate actions that are injuring millions of people, and we never consider it because we have to stop COVID. I find this very, very primitive and narrow thinking in my view. And frustrating. You know, uh, just to share a personal experience, Tim, I lost my mom this past summer. And uh, that was right, you know, June, May, June, that was right in the thick of all the lockdowns and all this, you know, stay away from the elderly people and don't spread the germs. And, and But my mom made a conscious decision. It was more important for her as she was breathing her last uh, days of life that she have family, that she had people around her that loved her and, and she was willing to what, take whatever risk and she was willing to defy whatever, you know, mandates were out there because it was important to her as she finished her life on this on this earth, her, her mortal ministry, if you will, that she had people around her that loved her and we were able to be there with her. And I know that was incredibly crucial to her. And I feel so bad, Tim, for people who, who don't have that, who aren't allowed to have that. And you're exactly right. I love the story you just told, and that reminds me of watching the funeral for for George H. W. Bush, if you remember, and some of the testimonies that went by. The family was gathered; people would rub his feet, and so imagine if 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 we would have required the the former president in his dying days to be held in isolation with no family around him. I think we all see how completely cruel that is. But this is what millions of families are being forced into um, by these, uh, I think, barbaric restrictive rules that are being um, um, compel- compelled and coerced upon people, rather than informing them, letting them know the risk, and let the families make decisions that are appropriate for their circumstances and situation, uh, knowing what those might be. Um, I, my own in-law story, my, my mother-in-law died last year, and my father-in-law is 87 years of age, would rather get COVID and die than to be forced into as a widower of over 50 years of marriage, uh, to be isolated alone in his grief. Yeah, yeah, my dad is, is the same way. And, I mean, we've made progress, obviously. There's vaccine, vaccines and, and things like that. But, but uh, early on, my dad said, you know what? If I die, I die. So what? I want to be around the people that I love. Uh, Tim, tell us a little bit about what you do on a daily basis. I, fi- I find your uh, your background fascinating. You have an MD from the University of Tennessee, and then you went on to be a, a psych- psychiatrist in the Army. Tell us about that. Well, yes, I did my uh, um, I, I got a scholarship to med school from the U.S. Army, and then I went on active duty and did a residency in the military in psychiatry at Eisenhower Medical Center down at Fort Gordon in Augusta. And then I served as the division psychiatrist for the Third Infantry Division and did some other things uh, before I got out of the military. And I. I I loved my time in, in the service, and I learned. I thought I had an incredible education. And then I've been in private practice um, since I got out of the military in 1997, and I see patients in my office uh, four days a week. Uh, and then I also uh, have a, the Christian Ministry Come and Reason um, Ministries that um, I'm the president of and, and founder. How important is your Christianity to your job as a psychiatrist? What Do, do you integrate those? Oh, absolutely. And now, and that doesn't mean I preach in my office. I don't do that. Right. But my worldview is I see human beings as created uh, 
in the image of God with their own individuality, their own capacity to think and to reason, and that the principles of God, truth, love, liberty, are principles that are essential for our life and health, as as well as the physical laws of health, and that we have inalienable rights given to us by our Creator, that uh, when you begin to compromise those rights and restrict people's inalienable liberties and freedoms, you begin to cause health problems, physical, mental, and other health problems. We see this in relationships such as marriage when one spouse is controlling or domineering of another, but we see this in society. When we begin to lose liberties in society, love is damaged, rebellion is instilled, groups fracture into um, competitive groups, and and, uh, divisions happen in society. And we're seeing this happen in our society right now. And it's the big principles of, of presenting truth, in a gracious, loving way, and leaving people free to make their own decisions that actually make uh, families healthy, make societies healthy. I I find, Tim, it seems like there's a contradiction in society right now where uh, television, you know, the the Christian person on television seems to be the one that everybody makes fun of now. They're the safest one to make fun of, I suppose. Uh, You talked about how, you know, uh, uh, anti-Christian rhetoric is taught in schools, and yet, just about everyone I know is a religious person, has at least a little bit of religion in their life. It's like the, I don't know, the powers that be tell us religion is, is wrong and silly and, and ridiculous, and yet everybody here on the ground level of, of life, living every day, is a religious person. How, do, how does that happen? How do, how do those two things jive? I don't get it. Well, so the media is controlled primarily by uh, people who are not religious and don't really in, uh, believe in God. The, the the media primarily is coming from a a, a um, globalist and a uh, humanist worldview. Uh, further, the the uh, the green. If you want to talk about the green, the green is driven by people who have the do not have God in the future. The Christian worldview is that there's a new heaven and a new earth coming, which is the home of the righteous, and God is going to recreate this earth in a sinless paradise for us. And people are are to be valued more than the planet. We are to be good stewards. We're not to pollute. We're not to abuse. We're not to exploit. But we don't believe there's any action we can take that can stop God from recreating a new earth. So we want to save people. In the green worldview, though, the, uh, the, there is no God. This is the only planet we have, and if we don't do something, then overpopulation is going to use up all the resources, pollute it to death, and we're all going to die. And so the, the planet is more valuable than the people, and we need to actually begin limiting the number of people on the planet, in fact, reducing and culling the population. And the real goal of, of the people that are on that side of things is, to, is population restriction and reduction because we have to save the planet. And these are philosophical landscape differences that are not reconcilable, and you see these being played out in society today with much of the action, and sadly, many good-hearted people, because they want to be good stewards and care for the planet, are buying into a, a and giving authority or power to, to individuals or organizations that actually don't value their life uh, uh, and, and want to actually reduce the number of people on this planet. So how do we resolve then? I mean, if, if you know, God gave us this earth, and we are stewards of this earth, and we need to take care of it. But at the same time, we take that perspective, like you said, which is, you know, uh, there is something beyond this earth. Um, How do we resolve the fact that there are a lot of really good people who are so caught up in in trying to save the earth that they are not saving souls? They're not saving their fellow humans. 
Yeah, and so so you you shift away from the focus of the planet to the focus on the creator of the planet. Mm-hmm. You shift away focus on self and fear. We we're afraid the planet is that we won't have a future, uh, and so it's very much fear driven. The, the the movement from from the planet savers. It's yeah, it's it not love driven, and, and you move towards the we want to. Um, save people for eternity in a relationship of love, and therefore we treat each other with dignity, respect, truth, love, freedom. We practice in governance of ourselves those healthy principles that life is based upon, rather than seeking to gain control and coerce everybody to comply to what we believe is the only right way to live. You have an example. One of your stories I was reading on your website talks about a math class and how imagine if you were in a math class and the teacher just gave you the answers. Okay, you don't need to really learn. Here's just here's the answers to all the questions. You'll do fine on your test. Just just put these answers down. And that obviously wouldn't make any sense. That wouldn't work. And I even remember way back in high school, that was a long time ago, uh, but uh, I found out there was an answer to every other question in the back of the book. And so, of course, it's every other question. I didn't do it because because I could just get the answer out of the back of the book. That did not service me well. In fact, when I got to college and, and had some harder math classes, I did not do well because I was used to looking up the answers in the back of the book. You talk about that it, you know, it, when, when it applies to religion and to life. A lot of times correct principles are taught, but they're just giving you the answers instead of uh, teaching you how to think about the answers and arrive at them yourself. No, this is exactly right. Hebrews 5.14 describes the mature Christian as the one who's developed by practice the ability to discern right from wrong. Critical reasoning requires exercise. In fact, it's the law of exertion. If you want something to get stronger, you must exercise it, because if you don't use it, you lose it. And so just memorizing the right answers to an answer key does not teach one how to do math, nor memorizing the right creed or the right religious um, dogmas teaches one why life is... Why, why it's actually right, and, and, and how come that is the answer. So, so people who memorize the right answers don't know how to problem-solve or discern when new problems arise. They need to look for some other authority to tell them the answer. Teacher, referee, umpire, pope, president, somebody tell me. And this is much of what's happening in society. People don't actually know how to discern for themselves, so they're looking for the experts, the CDC, somebody tell me, and then they just obey and they comply and they follow, but they don't know how to reason and think. Well, that is, I think you're getting at the core of some really important stuff here uh, where, I mean, how often have you you called someone on something and they're like, well, why is that? And, and they say, well, it just is. It's like, what do you mean? It just is. Explain, explain your reasoning to me and they, and they can't do it. So I love it. Dr. Uh, Dr. Timothy Jennings, uh, doctor, you want to, I, I got a commercial break. I got to get in here. You want to hang on a little bit longer? There's a couple sure. of things I wanted to ask you about. One of them I think is fascinating. The seven levels of moral decision-making that, that just fascinates me. So we'll, if that's okay with you, we'll talk about that when we come back. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. He's Dr. Tim Jennings. Welcome back to the program, 934 now on KDXU. Again, we're talking with psychiatrist and uh, pretty smart guy, Tim Tim Jennings. Hey, Tim, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Andy. Thanks for coming on the program. I, lo- I, love, uh, I love your topic. I love your specialty. Uh, we we kind of talked a little bit about uh, how can science and religion uh, exist co- uh, coexist peacefully. And I think you made a pretty good case for it. I did want to spend, Tim, if that's okay, a couple of minutes talking about your seven levels of moral decision-making. 
Uh, I as soon as you know, I, I got on your website this week, and I've been looking at the, some of your articles, and they're really fascinating. By the way, the website, folks, is. Uh, comeandreasoned.com comeandreasoned.com uh, but uh, this topic I was immediately kind of drawn to it because I like the the way the, the progression that can happen on decision making do you want to talk about that a little bit Right. So moral decision-making is the dis- how do you tell whether something's right or wrong? And this is what people struggle through life. How do I know whether it's right or wrong? And we've discovered there's a maturing level. We, we are, are supposed to grow up into the full stature of sons and daughters of Jesus Christ and mature. Sadly, we all don't always make it to the full level of maturity. And, and so the seven levels of moral decision-making are the most basic childish level is reward and punishment. Something yeah. is right if you get a reward for it, and it's wrong if you get punished for it. And this would be the level of a very small child or a, or a slave or the, or the soldiers in Nazi Germany were asked, why did you burn people now? Because I would have gotten court-martialed. It was right not to get punished. Very primitive level of deciding what's right and wrong. The next level is, um, is the quid pro quo, marketplace exchange is what, is what I call it, marketplace exchange, the quid pro quo. You do something for me in return of something of agreed-upon value. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Uh, and, and children will very quickly move from level one to level two. Uh, they brush their teeth because they'll get punished, but they'll very quickly say, Mommy, if I brush my teeth, will you read me a bedtime story? Mm-hmm. And so now we're, we're, now we're making a deal. We're not, it's, not about, it's not about avoiding punishment. It's about getting the deal. Uh, level three, social conformity. Uh, this, right and wrong is determined by uh, a consensus of the peer group. And this is the adolescent or the kid who says, well, Mom, everybody else is doing it. And if everybody else is doing it, well, then it must be right. Yeah. Uh, level four is law and order, and right and, or, right and wrong is determined by a codified system of rules uh, uh, overseen by uh, external judges who prescribe punishments for rule-breaking, uh, and uh, this is uh, also a, a childish level. This is the level of the tattletale, the, the rule monitors, uh, monitoring everybody else's behavior, the, the need for an external empire to make a ruling all the time, uh, but law and order. Level five, right and wrong is determined uh, not by rules, but by love for other people. Uh, what's actually in their eternal best interest uh, rather than what the rules say. So, uh, example, uh, a person who operated at level five would treat uh, African Americans e- equally back during the era of Jim Crow when the law said that you didn't. Uh, so you would break the law because it was right to love them as equals. Uh, that's a level five. And then, of course, the people who operate at level five got in trouble with the authorities who uh, were trying to keep the level four law. Uh, level six is principle-based living, which is living in harmony with the, uh, what I call the laws, uh, design laws or the laws of health, the laws upon which reality works, laws of physics, law of gravity, understanding those laws and intelligently choosing to live in harmony with what's actually healthy. Difference between a design law and a human law, humans can... Level four, make a law that says marijuana is legal. They can never make a law that makes it healthy. Those are, those are the differences. Yeah. And level seven is an understanding friend of God, a person who not only loves others, not only lives in harmony with God's design laws for life, but understands and intelligently cooperates to fulfill God's purposes. Those are the seven levels. Boy, I, I love them. And, and the progression, I, I mean, as you described each one, I, I thought, okay, I know a person that practices that one. I know a person that practices that one. Where are we as a society? Are we stuck on number four? So the, looking at research at this, 75% of essentially all societies never rise above level four. Hmm. Only one in, one in 
um, four people make it above level four to level five. And typically anybody who makes it to level five, level six, or higher, they end up being persecuted by people at level four and below. And you can see Jesus Christ, who was operating at level seven, persecuted and crucified. Gandhi, who, who practiced the principles of, of love others and principle-based living, was persecuted. Martin Luther King Jr., who was practicing the principles of, of equality and, uh, and character over identity or skin color, uh, persecuted. And so the vast majority of people in society never actually rise to the level, uh, level of loving others and living in harmony with God's designed laws or purposes. And what's very dangerous is when people read things like, uh, let's, let's live a purpose-driven life, uh, we want to do God's purposes, that's the highest level, but they haven't matured uh, to understand right and wrong through that level, then you can have immature people, level four and below, trying to fulfill God's purposes by strapping bombs on themselves and blowing themselves up to punish the, the people who aren't living by God's purposes. So there's not much more dangerous on earth that someone's on a mission for God who doesn't actually know God. It seems like to me, Tim, that a marriage needs to be at least level five uh, if it's going to be a successful marriage. Um, as you practice your, your, your uh, psychology, your psych- psychiatric uh, practice, uh, do you teach these principles? Is this something that you can integrate, especially maybe with a, with a couple that's having struggles? Absolutely. Uh, you, you cannot have physical health while violating the laws of health. Doctors do not heal. Doctors intervene to restore people back to harmony with the laws of health, and then the body's mechanisms begin healing, okay? And so relationships cannot be healthy while violating the laws that healthy relationships are built in. Uh, One of those is honesty. You cannot have a healthy relationship if you're deceiving and are dishonest with a person you're in a relationship with. It will undermine trust, and without trust, there is not a healthy relationship. That's just how relationships work. And then other-centered love. If you you only love the person for what they do for you, but you don't love them more than self, then what happens is you eventually will betray that other person to protect yourself. So truly healthy relationships require that each party love the other more than the self, or else when push comes to shove, betrayal happens. Happens. When uh, when my kids were young uh, in elementary school, we we lived in a, a relatively poor neighborhood, uh, and as we went to I don't know, school assemblies and things like that, uh, there were parents there that clearly really weren't sacrificed. They they didn't love their kids more than they loved themselves because they were just their behavior, their dress, their attitudes were were such that I mean I was frustrated because I've you know I've always felt like and I think kids realize that, realize this with good parents you know you give up everything for them for a while at least and maybe as they get a little bit older you start reclaiming a little bit of your life but I saw time and again these parents who they didn't give up everything for their kids in fact it was quite the opposite their kids were kind of side projects to their life and their, you know, whatever they like to party, whatever it was. Uh, Is that one of the problems with with, uh, young people today? And I I don't want to, I don't be like the old guy, young people today, but is that one of the problems we're seeing is is a a little bit of selfishness, not getting beyond level four? No, you're you're exactly right. In fact, they've done uh, some research. I can't rem- remember the university off the top of my head. I think it was say it was University of Mississippi, but it m- might not be. Um, but they they uh, for the last twenty years, every freshman entering class to the university, they they, they had them take a standardized test of narcissism, and every class for twenty years entering is more narcissistic or self-centered or selfish 
than the class before. Wow. And we see this rising in society today. And, and the antidote to selfishness or narcissism is altruistic love. Yeah. And, and if we're not experiencing love and practicing love, then we become more selfish. And what drives that is fear. Insecurity and fear drives us to watch out for self. And so as we lose the big three elements in our society historically, the big three were um, God, family, country. And as we've taken God out, we don't love him, we've taken a country that used to be, uh, don't ask what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, JFK, that's gone. The country is a corrupt abuser and enslaver of the minorities of the world. It shouldn't be supported, and the institution should be torn down. This is kind of the messaging you get. So you surely, certainly, certainly don't want to sacrifice to the country. And then the families are fractured and, and broken, and as you're describing, many people are just interested in their own getting ahead and career. Then kids are growing up in a world with nothing bigger than themselves and thus they become more self-centered and narcissistic. That is kind of scary. <laughs> it, it really is when, when you think about that. I mean, the big things that you live for, that you work for, and to have those things uh, kind of uh, almost cease to exist is, is a, a scary thought. Um, will, you, uh, will you talk a little bit about then what we need to do then to, to stem the tide? I mean, you know, the, 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 uh, the biblical quote is, the natural man is an enemy to God. Uh, it's so hard. We, every one of us has selfish tendencies that we have to overcome. How do we do that? Well, well, first, you say, how do we stem the tide? And in our society, I can tell you, the one way it will not be stemmed, and, and Christians need to get their mind around this, we will not fix this problem with more legislation more coercion, more compelling power of the authoritarian government, getting the right laws passed. The purpose of uh, the Constitution of America was to actually restrain the government from encroaching upon our inalienable rights given to us by our Creator. And so thinking that you can get a better country by passing more laws and forcing more people to comply with new legislation is the exact opposite of the purpose of what the Constitution was, was to get the government out of people's lives so they could live uh, as free as possible in a society where we have liberties to develop and grow. And so if we go down the trail of trying to get the government to fix it, we're going to fail. We have to come back and take responsibility for our own lives to be the healthiest, most mature, God-like people we can be in governance of ourselves, putting our Creator God first in our life, and then seeking to live His principles in how we conduct ourselves in our own families, in our own communities, and, 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 and in the treatment of other people. That's how this gets Fixed. We're talking with psychiatrist and and faith based uh, teacher uh, Dr. Timothy Jennings right now. Uh, I didn't mean to exclude our listeners again. If you want to call six seven three five eight ninety, I did ha- I did get a text just now from a listener who said this. He said, "There's too many idols. The earth is an idol. Our phone is an idol, etc. Only Christ is to be worshipped." Uh, are we really worshiping these idols? I guess in in the interpretation of worshiping, meaning giving it all our time and our attention, I guess the answer is probably yeah. Yeah, but there's also a design law called the law of worship. The uh, Bible describes it by beholding we become changed. We call it in psychiatry psychology, we call it modeling. We neurobiologically change and characterologically change based on what we esteem, value, look up to, uh, hold, um, believe. And so to the degree that we idealize uh, or value um, the principles and methods of this world, 
more than we value the principles and methods of God, and we, and we spend our time watching and ingesting that into our minds, it changes us. Uh, also, the view of God we hold, my, my book, The God-Shaped Brain, uh, How Changing Your View of God Transforms Your Life, uh, the neuroscience shows if you worship a God of love that Jesus revealed him to be a benevolent, compassionate, altruistic God, that it has healing impact on your brain, your relationships, and your physiology. You get less um, inflammatory cascades and better health. But if you worship uh, a God that you call Jesus, but the character traits you give that God are authoritarian, um, uh, rule-enforcing, punishing, fear-inducing, judgmental God, that actually it's very damaging to our brains and our health and our relations. We become more authoritarian and more abusive of others. So um, it depends on, on when you say worship, who you're worshiping and what you're worshiping has a big impact. There's no doubt, Tim, that depression, suicide is up uh, with COVID-19. There are people right now listening to this program who are really struggling with either chemical depression or or some other sort of depression in their life. Uh, If you had a message, you would, I I know we can't capsulize it all in one one statement, but if you had a message to these people who are really struggling, uh, what would it be? Well, that is treatable, that uh, if you're struggling with depression or anxiety or, or addiction, this is, these are treatable conditions, and, and health can be restored if you get the proper treatment and get on the proper treatment protocol, meaning restoring yourself physiologically, psychologically, spiritually, or whatever, wherever you're out of balance with what health requires, uh, getting in with the proper health care provider to help restore your body, your mind, your relationships back into uh, what is actually healthy will result in healthy outcomes. You can't avoid the damaging consequences of violating the laws of health. You also can't avoid the healing consequences of harmonizing with the laws of health. Both of them are outcome-based because they're the laws upon which reality are built to operate. And so if you're struggling, there's treatment that can restore you to wellness if you, if you will choose to connect with wherever your you know, treatment avenues are in your community. Yeah, very, very well said. Um, is there? A, do you have a book out right now? Uh, I know you got the website come and uh, come and reason dot com. Anything else you want to promote before I let you go today, Tim? Well, the uh, book came out uh, about a year and a half ago or so uh, called The Aging Brain, Proven Steps to Prevent Dementia and Sharpen Your Mind, and it just provides a resource for people who are concerned about the late onset Alzheimer's dementia, uh, describes uh, the various lifestyle factors that happen that contribute to that uh, late-stage um, disease process and how if you make the healthy lifestyle choices that you can avoid progressing to dementia, even if you have a family history of it. Uh, great. Thank you, Tim. Again, it's been fantastic. Very enlightening. I love what you're doing. Keep it up. And uh, you, you might have to be my go-to expert anytime I have a question about this kind of stuff. So, Thanks for having me, Andy. I really enjoyed the talk. Dr. Timothy Jennings. Thank you so much, Doc. Bye-bye. It is 9.50 now on News Radio 890, 94.9 KDX. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will field your phone calls. We'll wrap up the program. Uh, maybe get your thoughts on a couple of things. I have a couple of news items I wanted to talk about, too, uh, when we come back. Real quickly, a chance to thank, thank Joe Shoney. Joe Shoney is a loan consultant serving Southern Utah for two and a half decades. His specialty is customer service. You give him a call, he will... Well, basically, when you become his client, he lets you know. Basically, you're his buddy. He lets you know all along the way what's happening with your loan, what the interest rate is, what fees there might be. 
when you need to be and where you need to be places to sign. Uh, it's, a, it's a thorough process for Joe Shoney and his team, uh, so much to the point that uh, with now 513 reviews online, he has an astonishing 4.96 out of 5 stars out there. It's Joe Shoney, again, your local loan consultant. Call him today at 435-590-6300. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back, 9.52. Now, I had to let Dr. Jennings go. He actually had an appointment at 11 o'clock to see another patient, and so we had to let him go. But uh, if you have any questions or you want to talk about the topic at hand today, 673-5890, you can text me at 435-467-5842, or you can email me, agriffin at cherrycreekmedia.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, Just a programming note, again, I'm actually really, really excited about the rest of this week, uh, including today, but Dr. Jennings today, tomorrow on the program, we will have Todd and Susie Bullock from their website is heygrillhay.com. That's not girl, but grill, heygrillhay.com, and they do Facebook videos. Uh, They have, uh, they both quit their jobs, and they're making a fine living by basically doing YouTube videos on how to barbecue things and uh you know some of the stuff they do is just basics some of the stuff they do is ideas for you if you're into uh, you know i mean just regular food or grilling or or barbecuing or smoking and then uh, some of what they do is kind of mind-blowing groundbreaking stuff uh they they did we talked about this on our barbecue hq show the other day but they did a pulled not pork a pulled ham the other day in a class they taught for uh, for uh, Troy over there at the barbecue pit stop, pulled ham. And I got to tell you, ever since I heard they were doing that, I, I, I've not been able to think about anything else. I want to get me an uncooked ham and do a pulled ham like, like they did. Uh, anyway, they'll be on the program tomorrow. We're not really going to talk a lot about barbecue. We'll talk some about barbecue, but mostly I want to talk about how they had the guts to do what they did, and that's quit their day jobs. Uh, with kids to raise and and you know and and life to to manage and put everything they are and everything they do into making YouTube videos because quite frankly you make a YouTube video and nobody watches it you don't get any money and they found a way to capitalize it to make money and actually to do very well at uh, putting videos online uh, uh, Susie Bullock is a national celebrity not just a Utah celebrity and by the way Todd and Susie live right here in St. George now they moved down from uh, northern Utah not that long ago and uh, because well because well this is St. George and we love it it's it's an incredible place uh, that's tomorrow on the program on Wednesday Tim Alders is on the program Tim and I were actually neighbors back in high school uh, I moved into his area in West Jordan when I was about 15 years old. And uh, Tim and I were, I would not call us buddies or anything like that. We were we were neighbors, we were friends, but we weren't close. Uh, he went one way, I went the other. And uh, we circle around now, it's 30, 37 years later, uh, 
And uh, Tim is a political expert. He is a is, he is a rising star in the political uh, arena here in the state of Utah. He's a, a very conservative, actually more of a constitutionalist than even a Republican. And uh, he's written some books. He's actually coming to town for a fundraiser. And I was able to get a hold of Tim through another high school friend of ours, uh, a mutual friend, Dwayne Vance, and schedule him for the program. That is on Wednesday right here on The Andy Griffin Show. Thursday, Mayor Michelle Randall will make, I believe, her third appearance on the program now. She's just, you know, Mayor Pike used to come on every two weeks. Michelle has uh, said, I'm only going to do once a month because she's afraid of you guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's not afraid. Uh, she just has, uh, her schedule's worked out where she can only come on uh, once a month. But we're going to have Michelle on Thursday. And then I really want to make sure you guys understand Friday is Good Friday. That is a holiday for our company and for a lot of you out there. We will not be in the office. We will not be on the air on Friday. I will have, uh, there will be a couple of things that will be pre-taped, uh, like a Joe Shoney commercial or a, uh, like our uh, focus on business with Dr. Doug this coming Friday. Those will, those will be pre-taped, but we will not be here live in the studio on uh, Good Friday. So a fantastic week of cool guests coming up. And uh, we will take callers on uh, on uh, most of those days. We'll take callers in the second half of the program on most of those days. I know some of you want to know uh, how... Uh, uh, Todd and Susie made it in the YouTube world. Some of you want to talk with uh, Tim Alders on Wednesday. I know a lot of you will want to talk with Mayor Randall. Randall. We'll have open lines uh, throughout the program in that program as well. So uh, lots of cool stuff coming up. And uh, here's one for you. A week from Tuesday. That's, uh, what, eight days from now. Roy Firestone will be on the program. Now, some of you are like, I don't know who that is. But some of you are like, what? The Roy Firestone? This guy is, uh, in the sports world mostly, he interviewed the biggest of the stars. Uh, He was the kind of guy that they would invite to go, uh, say Muhammad Ali was going to visit a nursing home. Uh, He would go and visit a nursing home. And... uh, with Muhammad Ali and then tell the story about that. And by the way, Roy does a spot on uh, Muhammad Ali impersonation. Like you'll think Muhammad is here when he does that on the program coming up uh, a week from tomorrow. Uh, Roy Firestone that has, inter- has interviewed people like uh, Tiger Woods, Arnold Palmer, uh, uh, Tom Brady, uh, I mean, just the the bigs in sports, uh, Tommy Lasorda, you know, in baseball, in basketball, uh, LeBron James before that, Michael Jordan before that, uh, you know, Wilt Chamberlain. Um, he has interviewed the biggest of the biggest stars in sports, and uh, he's going to come on the program. He was doing a workshop. I was involved in a workshop uh, about a week or so ago, and uh, now there were thousands of people uh, observing this workshop. It was a virtual workshop. And just on a lark, I thought, you know what, I'm going to send him an email, see if he'll do my show. Uh, a lot of times you get people who are very popular like him, and they're like, ah, nah, I don't have time for that. You know, it's a local show. Sorry about that. Uh, but Roy responded almost immediately and said, I'd love to do your show. Give me a date and time. And then I gave him a date and time, and he said, now, just so you understand, I don't want to do five minutes. Because I can't tell my stories in five minutes. I want to do your whole program if that's possible. I'm like, well, yeah, you know, (laughs) of course. And so uh, Roy is going to be on the program next Tuesday. That's a week from tomorrow. Uh, Bookmark it. Uh, 
do whatever you need to do. Put it in your calendar, write it on a piece of paper, and stick it on the fridge. I think it's going to be an incredible program with Roy Firestone a week from tomorrow. Uh, in between now and then, again, Susie and Todd Bullock, Tim Alders, Mayor Michelle Randall, Brian Hyde will be on next Monday. We miss Brian today, but he'll be on next Monday. And then Roy Firestone. Uh, after uh, after that, uh, we've got the Washington County Commissioners. We've got uh, other Mayor Kenny Nielsen will be joining us. I mean, we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up on the program. Thank you for listening today. Thanks again to Dr. Timothy Jennings and his message, his faith-based message. That if you live for other people, you're really doing it the right way. <laughs>